You're listening to Global Questions by YDS, an apolitical podcast that, as the name suggests, asks the big global questions, delving into topics that matter to you with the experts. From diplomats to humanitarians to students, I'm your host, Jen Marcocci. For this episode, I'm talking with the student, Zahn Ghan. Until you really see the nature of a country by obviously seeing the people in action, the environment, even something like the temperature it can really change your opinion. We will be exploring his pathway and experience in Indonesia. Thank you for being here, Zan. Thanks for having me. So when did you know that international relations was your passion? Pretty last minute, actually. I got to the end of high school and there was no way I was going to go to university. And it was just by chance that mum sent me to an information session at Deakin and I sort of fell in love with the idea of travel, working overseas and to some extent politics as well. You obviously have a lot of experience in Indonesia. How did that begin? So it started off with mum and dad and holidays to Bali, as uh, as most Australians do. And I'd done it in uh, high school as a compulsory language too, and then one thing led to the next, and I've been back ever since. What was your undergraduate degree? So it was international studies, majoring in international relations and Indonesian language. And you had the opportunity to go overseas during that period, and what was your experience? So the first trip we had planned was to Sumatra, which was my first year uni, and that got cancelled due to the fires in Sumatra. As a result of that, me and my friend that was going on the trip, we flew to, to Bali and just went on a bit of a holiday there. And then the following year, I went over for university for an internship with Alliance of Independent Journalists, which is a press advocacy organisation. They specialise in protection of journalists, journalist rights, and sort of the general media outlets, particularly in written journalism and photojournalism. So there I was translating a lot of their documents and their their sort of code of conduct and code of ethics, etc. And then also covered the AHOK protests or demonstrations that were going on. Did a few pieces on that and got a few photos, much to the horror of my university at the time. But What were the steps you took to acquire that internship with Alliance? So that one was through university. So I was at Deakin at the time and that was, that was part of their program. You have to study abroad and they have a few partnership organisations that, that find you the organisation. And that pair you up with an organisation abroad to do an internship with. So journalism wasn't particularly an area that I thought I'd find myself in, but I really enjoyed it nonetheless. So that was the first one in maybe 2017, I think it was. And why did you choose journalism? Well, they gave us a few options, and journalism was something that I saw as fairly practical, and it was a good excuse to get out of an office as well. I didn't want to sit behind a desk all day, which ended up being a few of my uh, my friends that were doing internships at the same time. And the Indonesian lifestyle is very relaxed too. So, uh, you know, a journalist sort of organisation, there's a bit of freedom, there's a bit of room for creativity too. So I really appreciated that element of it. And what was it like transferring some of the skills you learnt at university to the Indonesian alliance context? Interestingly enough, and much to my surprise, a lot of the stuff we learn at university we actually use. And that's where I'm working now. I've figured that out a lot more so too. But look, it's always going to be challenging. But at the same time, you study something for so long, you become specialised in it. And then obviously you're using it for a serious application. It's not just in the classroom. So, you know, it becomes a bit more enjoyable and a bit more rewarding as well. Do you see that as kind of the milestone, your interest in Indonesia? Yeah, that was one of them. That was definitely something that got me sort of more engaged in the professional lifestyle of Indonesia. And and doing that, we had a few professional events, networking events. We went to the Australian embassy and I became sort of really enthusiastic about 
international relations and Australian affairs as well, perhaps more so than Indonesian. And then obviously that led me to a few more programs, which including the International Youth Leadership Conference in Malaysia, just something I'd really recommend any sort of young aspiring international relations students to look into. And then I backpacked Vietnam for a while, a month or so, and then there was a few other little holidays to Bali and then obviously the most recent one. Going back to that embassy experience, how did you get involved in that? Were you a part of societies at uni or was it just all within your course that that happened? Yeah, so the organisation I was with, International Internships is their name. Uh, They were the ones that organised the actual internship program. And as part of the program, there was a one-week introduction before the internships began. And as part of that, we had a lot of professional sort of networking events and greets. We went to the embassy and then obviously sort of cultural things as well, dances and, and mountain tours and temples and whatnot. How important do you think the cultural side of your experiences influences the way you write? The cultural element is fundamental for any student studying abroad. You can sit in a classroom, you can learn about the language, but unless you understand the culture, you're not going to understand really any of it to its fullest extent. And you can draw a lot of conclusions by reading books, but until you really see the nature of a country by obviously seeing the people in action, the environment, even something like the temperature is is something that can really change your opinion, I guess, or observations of the country and how things are done and the nature of of why people are the way they are. So, yeah, I think not just Indonesia in particular, but any country that anyone sort of specialises in, they have to have an understanding of the culture, the history, the religion, the politics. You cannot just look at the language at face value. Do you think that learning a language was an imperative step in your journey? towards uh, your specialization or yeah it's definitely led me to where i am now i don't really know why i pursued indonesian or a language at all i haven't come from a particularly academic family per se um, and i was never very interested in learning or school so indonesian was just one thing that stuck out maybe because there was a very practical use to it indonesia is super close to australia as well so there's a lot of potential there i saw for a career and, you know, work, holidays, etc. it's more likely that I'll end up in Indonesia than sort of many other countries. But in saying that, it's, you know, Southeast Asia is obviously a very up-and-coming sort of area and a region, and I know there's a lot of students now that are pursuing languages from that region, particularly China, uh, Indonesia, India. It'd be good to see a bit more engagement perhaps in, in countries like, in language specifically, in countries like Philippines or Korea, because they're up and coming as well. But in saying that, Indonesia is definitely, as we know, our closest neighbour, so definitely an important one to pursue. Do you think if you're going to pursue an international relation career that you should know a language? Yeah, I think fundamentally. I don't think you have to work in that particular country. But I think the fact that you know a language means you probably know the culture. And if you know the culture, then, you know, you understand the concepts of cultural diversity, different religions, different ways of thinking. And it doesn't have to really be that country in particular that you, you're pursuing, that you're focusing on. It's just the, the conceptual elements and the understanding of what cultural diversity means, how it affects Uh, behavior and interactions and obviously how it affects your work in the future how it affects policy and relations and yeah you know a broader sort of scope when you first went to indonesia for your internship did you find it hard to kind of assimilate and like acclimatize and somewhat we were with a pretty big group there was about 12 of us so i had uh, other students around and stuff so and that was probably my sixth 
or seventh time to Indonesia at that point, maybe maybe fifth or sixth. So I had a fairly good understanding of Indonesia. And again, having the language definitely helped. I was the only one on the trip that actually spoke the language. So to some extent, I was more of a, uh, I guess, a leader, uh, or I could at least assist a lot of other people that were perhaps struggling. The language and understanding of the culture and the history made it a lot easier. And when you've been in a place a couple of times before, you definitely become a lot more confident. So Look, the first time you go to any country, I went to Vietnam, and the first time I was there, I got off got off the plane, and it was the middle of the night, and I was standing at a bus stop and couldn't speak the language, couldn't really read the signs, and sort of had to work my way out. I think that's a fundamental skill to have if you want to be in international relations as well, as being able to adapt and think on your feet. You touched on the International Youth Leadership Conference in Malaysia. What was that experience like for you? That was really good. So International Youth Leadership Conference is an organisation that runs a range of different programs across the world, actually. I believe they've got one in Prague, one in Malaysia, one in South Africa, and I think one in Dubai now, actually. So each year they'll have a conference or maybe a couple of conferences, and they bring together a whole delegation of international students, come together, and essentially it's a, a lot of discussion, a lot of meetings, mock simulations, sort of model United Nations style events, and a lot of networking events as well, engagement with, depending on the country you're in, but with government officials, representatives, institutions, organisations, NGOs, etc. So it's only a week-long conference, but it's jam-packed, sort of nine to five, and the, the students there are pretty much all university students, all studying in the field of IR as well. So that's really good to experience people in the same field but from different cultures different countries yeah what was a project that you worked on that you're quite proud of and the outcome of it regards to the youth leadership conference yeah so we had well i mean it was it was a couple of years ago so i'm just trying to remember back but there was a few different events one of them was a similar to a model united nations where each each individual represented a country you opposed with a problem. I can't remember the specific problem. And you had to bring together all of the, essentially the theoretical elements and the potential underpinnings and issues and implications, draw them out and reach some sort of conclusion and draft essentially a briefing as to how you would resolve this issue. You know, I've done a few of these things before and sometimes they can feel like uh, perhaps a little bit pointless or a little bit tacky but in this case this was really really coherent and everybody was quite engaged and again these kind of things at the time may seem a little bit a little bit pointless but in the grand scheme of things they actually serve a lot of purpose and it'll become quite relevant from from what I understand in international relations. Do you still keep in contact with the people from that conference? Yeah, I do actually. So, I mean, there's a lot of them that were from Indonesia, which was really good. I saw a few of them recently when I was over there. There's some from South Africa, which I became quite good friends with. And then there's sort of a a variety of others from around the world, which programs like these as well, it's different to sort of crossing paths with somebody at a hostel. At least these ones, you're with them sort of day in, day out. Uh, You really have a chance to to engage with them. Um, At a bit of a deeper level as well, beyond just, oh, where are you from? What do you do? sort of general conversation, you really understand their their history, their culture, their backgrounds. And again, these are like-minded people as well. They're quite passionate about the same things that, that I was passionate about and interested in. So you'd form really, really solid relationships. When you go to those conferences, do you find that you are more strongly Australian than you usually are? Or do you feel that your heart also lies with like the Indonesian side of you? That's a good question, actually. That's a really good question. Naturally, when you're in these kind of environments, you have a very mixed bag, a very mixed group, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different religions. So I think it's actually quite important to be be happy to be Australian, really 
make it known that you're Aussie because everybody else is happy to represent their country and I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. And if anything, that reiterates the point that, look, I can be Australian with Indonesians, with South Africans and with you know a variety of other countries and we can all cooperate. So do you see yourself as an Indonesian? I'm not sure I ever will, but I definitely see myself... Uh, a lot more than an, an Aussie bogan in Bali, that's for sure. I'd like to consider myself sort of a bit beyond that. A bit cultured. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd hope so, being there nine times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How did you get involved with the Youth Leadership Conference? Applications are essentially an essay or a small essay and a submission and you get in contact and there's a fee for it. And then it's a, a five-day conference, usually stay for a few days afterwards with the others. And, and again, it was one of those things that in the field of international relations, being a student, I think is really important to set yourself aside from other students because it's competitive, but also really give you a good experience internationally. And that's, you know, one of the most important elements of studying well, international relations. How old were you when you did that and which degree were you in? So I was in my undergraduate degree. I think I was in my last year. So it would have been 2017, only two years ago. It would have been 2021 ish By doing that conference, it helped you find a ground for like your postgrad? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, Again, it was similar to the first internship I did. It really reiterated the importance of of cooperation, international cooperation and engagement. And these things I've really found through, you know, I've done a few of these conferences, internships, programs, and I've really found that they uh, sort of positive reinforcement. You find yourself in a professional environment amongst young professionals. You wear a suit and a tie and you engage in these quite professional meetings. So, you know, you're sort of inspired to pursue that career and to do more of this stuff. You get a bit of a taste for it and it sort of encourages more. So... Yeah, it's a bit of a positive feedback loop. Why is engagement so important to you? Well, I mean, we sit in a classroom for, you know, three years at best for an international relations degree. And then if you do postgrad, it's probably another year and a half, two years on top of that. So, look, you can learn a lot of academic content in a classroom, but you really need, and again, this is something I've really, really found, is that you need to have... Uh, experience with people and I think that's the basis of it is you need to be able to engage with people from different cultures of different religions different ages in particular is really important as well so the ability to to hold a conversation to find common ground build relationships is there a specific element of Indonesia or their culture or their politics that interests you the most the people, I think, fundamentally, the people are absolutely beautiful. They're, um, they're one of my favourite cultures by far. Very rich history, very, very interesting culture. Historically, they're fascinating as well. And politically, it's a very unique place too in that you've got 17,000 islands. Not quite all of them are occupied, but 70,000 islands that need to be governed as well. So how then do you utilise and efficiently apply democracy to a place like that? You know, So the geographical division is what fascinates me as well, especially when you have areas like North Sumatra, which are extremely conservative, very heavily Islamic and quite conservative, and then you have areas like Bali, which are completely Hindu. So, you know, you've got a lot of contrast in religion and cultures and whatnot, which trying to govern and uh, effectively utilise democracy is fascinating. Did you play a role in trying to aid that government? To some extent, what I could do is obviously fairly limited, but what I did in uh, my first internship in Jakarta was quite sort of a volatile time with the Ahok demonstrations going on. Yeah, so he was a Chinese Christian governor. Um, So there was a lot of sentiment 
against him uh, amongst the Islamic community. There's quite a strong anti-Chinese sentiment in Indonesia for a number of reasons, and there was quite a strong sentiment against him for his political behaviour. I won't really comment on that. I mean, whether you're in favour or against it is a separate argument, but I looked into that quite a bit and covered that and attended the demonstrations and the riots, and I talked to a lot of individuals there, and the consensus was that, well, the diversity, you know, the effects of globalization are just starting to really change the political dynamics of Indonesia. And they have a very big population too. It's about 250, maybe more now, but 250 million. And again, spread over such a large expanse of islands, different cultures, religions. It is an enormous challenge to govern all of these people effectively, you know, and to ensure that everybody's being treated fairly, everybody's got sort of basic human rights, etc. So yeah, it's somewhere I've been really interested in in particular. Did that feed into how you approached your delegation from AIIA? Again, yeah. So the whole field of international relations sort of came about from, as I mentioned earlier, a bit of a, a positive feedback loop. You know, you sort of do one thing and it's it's sort of inspires you to do a bit more. So I began volunteering with AIIA probably maybe four or five months ago now, getting onto this program. Well, that was just at random. I I knew about the program and I didn't uh, I didn't apply. It was quite expensive and it was fantastic. But I'd been to a few of the places already and um, given the price and having recently moved up to Melbourne and stuff, I thought I'll, I'll let this one go. And anyway, a week before the program, I got an email saying that one of the members of the tour or the program had pulled out due to an illness. However, everything's booked and everything's been paid for. Convenient. Um, yeah, very convenient. <laughs> so I found out on uh, Sunday afternoon, Monday I made a few phone calls and Tuesday I booked flights and I pretty much just had to pay for the flights to and from Indonesia. So I got really lucky with that actually. And I flew out on Friday and I was there for about two weeks on pretty much an all expenses paid tour, a really comprehensive tour of Indonesia. Wow. Um, and what did that involve? What did you do on your tour? So the first week was a very professional setting. We had a lot of meetings um, with a very sort of broad range of organisation, met with the military representatives, we met with government officials, their equivalent of Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, their former uh, finance minister, their former foreign affairs minister, or their equivalent at least, universities, academic professionals, advisors, consultants. It was a a really jam-packed week of meeting with essentially we were trying to unpack the importance of the relationship between Australia and Indonesia how it's going to develop how it has developed but how it's looking to develop uh, and what areas are going to be really important so that was the first week the second week it's a bit more cultural we went up to uh, Sulawesi into Taraja which is way up in the mountains and the culture there is is quite heavily orientated around well, buffaloes firstly and death which is a fascinating combination and we went to some of their traditional burial sites where they carve out the side of a cliff and the coffin is essentially a small hole in the side of the cliff or they have sort of these coffins mounted and fastened to the side of the cliff and death up there is a totally different concept to what we have which the whole way up is littered by skulls and human bones and skeletons sort of sitting there which is quite a spooky indiana jones kind of place yeah it was fascinating what was the significance of that trip and how did that contribute to what you brought to your meetings or so the idea was to conduct as much research gain as much insight and information as we could and we ended up producing about a 60 or 70 page report which we actually last week forwarded onto DFAT and to Maurice Payne directly. So we just recently got 
correspondence back from them saying they'd received it and, and read it. So yeah, that was the objective was to provide a sort of a contemporary yet concise overview of Australian-Indonesian relations, particularly in the area of education, economy, tourism, obviously a, a variety of other fields, but they were the main areas. We are always looking for new writers. Whether you're here in Melbourne or abroad, visit us at our website, theyoungdiplomats.com, under the Get Involved tab to find out more. More or less, I've had a bit of experience in Indonesia in the education section. I went to Indonesia last year for a few months and I was teaching English at a university. So I've had a particular interest in their education sector. And I I wrote a piece actually for the report on the importance of essentially exchanging students between Indonesia and Australia, but for Indonesia in general to send more of its students abroad and bring more international students in. And there's a range of benefits in doing that, especially for Australia too. We have students from a range of countries here, but surprisingly not many from Indonesia and again it's difficult with visas and and the cost of doing so but it would be great to see more Indonesian students coming to Australia because I know there's a lot that go there and we have the new Colombo plan which is fantastic for our students to get over there but uh, it's a lot harder for Indonesian students to come across to Australia. And what are your hopes with the report that you've tabled? How it gets used I'm not I'm not certain of. It's hard to say whether it will get used or or what will be done with it, but I would like to hope that it at least gets considered and looked at in a way that sort of acknowledges the, the serious potential for Australia in Indonesia and, you know, there's a lot of potential economically, uh, socially, and I think there's a bit of urgency in that they, not that they're a threat, but they're a big population. And I think really our only option is to cooperate and to work together. And the way that the world's going now, I think, you know, obviously globalization has really affected pretty much every country, but quite surprisingly, to a limited extent between Indonesia and Australia. And there's a lot of room, don't know. Is there like much about our relationship with Indonesia that you think should be improved more other than education? Yeah, absolutely. I think wealth distribution, poverty, possibly the two biggest issues going on. You go to a place like Jakarta and off the top of my head, I think it's something like 75 to 80% of Indonesia's wealth is concentrated within Jakarta alone. And when you've got 250 million people, you know, and you've concentrated that wealth into sort of one city, well, that's a massive disproportion. So they're constantly facing those kind of issues, which trickle down into things like education. Education is sort of a byproduct of resource and wealth distribution. You have issues like climate, for instance. Um, You know, it's obviously going to become an issue for Indonesia. As the water level starts to rise, you've got small islands, which are tidal as it is, and very, very low. Uh, the Parry Island, sorry, the Thousand Island group north of Jakarta is a sort of cluster of inhabited islands, and at the highest point on some of the islands is only about five metres above, five or ten metres above sea level. So, you know, they're at risk as well. And then obviously you have the prominence of China in the South China Sea. It hasn't directly well, there's been instances, but it hasn't directly affected Indonesia yet, but it's starting to. The fishing vessels and, and Chinese patrol vessels, so that's something Indonesia needs to be responding to. So they're very subjected to volcanoes, earthquakes and tsunamis, and that's proven a big problem. So, you know, infrastructure to be able to support and deal with these kind of disasters is something that is going to be really important, especially as the population continues to grow. Why is it so important for Australia to engage in these issues with Indonesia and help them? Well, that's a big question. I mean, it depends. There's a whole 
area of IR, do we have an obligation to help other states or do we look after ourselves? But I think if there was a state that we need to be responsive towards and really show our commitment to it, well, it's definitely Indonesia. Why? Because they're our immediate neighbour. And we would like to hope they'd do the same for us, you know, if, if it ever came to it. So, you know, it's a bit of a philosophical question, though. Do you have an obligation to help? Well, I think in this day and age with, with the whole concept of global complexity and, and globalization as a whole, we can't necessarily exist without a relationship with Indonesia, whether it's direct or indirect. For instance, our meat industry thrives in Indonesia. A lot of our beef is being sent up there, um, a lot of our wood chips as well. We get a lot of machinery parts from Indonesia that get sent down here. So look, not that we depend on them for trade, not that they depend on us either, but obviously the relationship is fairly significant and I genuinely think we'll continue to grow. When you were part of the delegation from AIIA, what was your actual role? We were technically delegates and we were there to engage with, with most of the events were very professional set events in the offices of these organisations and institutions. We'd sit down and very formal proceedings and we would listen to their representative or their speaker deliver an address to us which was sort of half an hour to 40 minutes long and we'd all how sit did there. you go with such a different context and the way you present yourself was there preparation for that or did you just kind of have to assume that yeah i mean it was sort of straight into the deep end i think the hardest part was being flat out you know you'd have a half hour window between certain events you'd be from a to b in this organization with this institution and this and that so you'd have a pen and paper everywhere you go and pretty much anything that was said you'd scribble it down furiously and what was the necessity for you to write all that down so the end objective was to produce the to to be sent to dfat so and again for my own reference being so interested and passionate about indonesia there's always something to learn for instance we went to tempo tempo media which is one of the indonesia's biggest media outlets and we went to their head office and we met with some of their representatives and you know it's a good chance to get some business cards and some contacts but also to hear what they do and to what to what extent how and how they influence sort of society and it goes back to what i said earlier about not just understanding a language or the academic side of it but understanding the culture and the dynamics and the relationship particularly between these organizations how the media cooperates with with policymakers and how policymakers cooperate with you know, the social spheres and the education sector and this big network that goes on is really important to understand. Do you see that as a future career? Yeah, I mean, it's I've got a knack for travelling and that's something I'd love to do as a career. I think that was half the reason I studied Indonesian was an excuse to go overseas and I've been overseas, well, I try to go at least twice a year if I can and I've sort of set that as my, my goal. So as much as I love Indonesia, I'm at a point where I've seen a lot of it. There's a lot of the world out there left to see, and I think it's time I'd like to start exploring. After your delegation, did you use that experience to propel you forward in your current position for working for the Victorian government, or what was that process like? Again, it goes back to this sort of idea of a positive feedback loop where you, you sort of accomplish something and you're quite satisfied with yourself and it encourages you to do more things and to better yourself further and further and I think we should all be striving to do that you know to be better today than we were yesterday as cliche as it sounds but um, so my role now with the government was well actually that was very much by chance but that what got me there and sort of gave me the motivation to really pursue it and definitely a byproduct of you know not just the most recent trip but every trip I've done overseas and and then obviously my parents as well have been incredible beyond belief and 
allowing me to realise the potential in the first place. So what is your actual role at the moment? So I work for Parliament of Victoria uh, as an electorate officer. So a lot of the stuff we're doing is policy analysis and bill analysis. We're looking at a lot of the legislation that comes through and for all the amendments and changes that are being made. And essentially we dissect it, we look at it and we, we decide as a party whether we agree or we disagree. And then we sort of make changes based on that. So it goes back to what I was saying about university and the skills they teach you. This has really, really shown me that actually... A lot of what we do in universities is really important. If you're, They do actually prepare you quite significantly for this sort of field. What are you working on at the moment? What bills and amendments are you looking at? There's generally, they turn over pretty fast, uh, but a lot of it is obviously it's Victorian, uh, Victorian Parliament, so it's Victorian legislation. And well, what's been fairly recent is environmental policy. That's been, been quite frequent. We've had the plastic ban legislation, which has recently gone through. And then there's been ones regarding... So not particularly big changes. A lot of it's just minor changes to bring things up to date and up to speed, make them more relevant. So, yeah, but it's it's interesting. I never really had a particular understanding of politics before the job. So that's really allowed me to unpack sort of how government works and the process to, to making legislation, changing legislation and the technicalities of it. And again, it's not somewhere I saw myself or I thought I'd end up, but the opportunity presented itself and I sort of took it and... Again, that goes back to the field of IR. There's going to be plenty of things that, like this podcast now, I suppose, there was an opportunity and, you know, it's it's something that's worth doing and gaining a little bit of experience out of. For sure. So how did the job within Parliament come up? Well, uh, it's one of those stories that you hear a lot of professionals talk about and they say, oh, I was doing this and I ran into someone or I got someone's business card and you always think, how am I ever going to do that? You know, how am I going to get a job when you just got lucky? But uh, it was the same. I was on the train one night back from the city after after dumplings and a bottle of wine with friends and fairly talkative as it is, you know, and after a few drinks and I started talking to the guy next to me on the train and he worked for parliament. We got talking about, about politics in general and I mentioned uh, the party that he worked for and he got quite excited and we had a bit of a chat and he gave me a business card because I said I'd be interested in volunteering and I asked him about an internship and they said, yeah, we'd, we'd be interested, but the MP, he's on holiday, so we can't actually, um, we can't say just yet, you know, we'll have to wait till he comes back and he got back from holidays and had decided that they were ready to hire somebody else in the office and needed another member of the team and they I assume knew that I was keen volunteering and interning with them so they asked look are you interested in um in applying and that was that was Monday uh, actually Monday that Monday night I was volunteering and I was on the door and went through the door list and the MP was attending that event and that was the first event he'd been to as well and it was just by chance and I couldn't really believe that he was going but so Tuesday morning I went in for the interview and by Friday I had the job Amazing. more or less so it was um it was just right place right time on a lot of levels but again you know it can happen to anybody I think it comes down to being able to put yourself out there being able to chat with people as well and you learn a lot of that from going overseas to being able to engage with different cultures. Ages is, is really important. What motivates you to continually volunteer? You know, it's a, I suppose it's a passion and it's an interest and you put yourself out there because A, you want to learn about it. B, you meet a great range of people. And again, as cliche as it sounds, it looks great on the resume. And I think you really need to be doing anything and everything you can to make yourself stand out if you... If you want to be successful, to have a degree is one thing, and that's fantastic, but you know, you've got to show that you're, and this is a lot of what I've been told from a lot of professionals and people I've sort of had the opportunity to do, discuss things with, is you have to be prepared to 
to put yourself out there in terms of extra extracurricular sort of activities. Uh, volunteering is a great way of doing that. It looks fantastic on a resume too. Uh, and you learn so much from, from doing this as well. You know, you meet a lot of great like-minded people. Actually on... Um, Tuesday I, I went for a coffee before work I was in the city and I had half an hour to kill and I went into this cafe and sat down and the only seat that was available uh, there was a gentleman sitting next to it and I sort of recognized his face and he'd actually attended a few of the events at AIIA and I recognized him from there and I said hello and he was he's quite a professional individual he's a author and writer for Letter from Melbourne and Letter from Canberra, which are sort of political reviews, I guess. It's a great contact to have, and he's a wealth of information. He's seen a lot. He's done a lot. He's spent a lot of time abroad and in sort of the professional sector. So I think it's crucial to take up every opportunity you can for, you know, even if you don't get anything out of it except learning just a little bit, just learning a little bit more than you knew the day day before. You spoke a lot before about resume as an important thing and I think it's also just the ends like the means is what kind of should be the motivation for most people yeah yeah exactly I suppose it's hard with international relations too I mean you study optometry you're an optometrist you study engineering you're an engineer um you know you study nursing you're a nurse but you study international relations where you're not really anything at the end of it so that's always tricky I found for myself and a lot of people I've talked to in the field is oh what are you going to do when you finish nobody actually really knows uh, which is tricky, but it's also wonderful because there's so much potential. Um, you know, and we're all aware of what we can do and sort of what's out there. But I think you'll, I've always sort of fundamentally believed that you're wasting your time if you're doing something and you don't enjoy it. And again, it's one of those cliche sayings, you've got to love what you do and da, 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 da. But if you don't enjoy it, you are wasting your time, no matter how the ultimate goal should be to enjoy what you do above how much it pays or above sort of you know, your area of expertise, uh, and take every opportunity as well, whether you like it or not, whether it sucks and, you know, at least you've tried it. And there are all these cliche things that everybody told to me and I sort of shrugged off, but you don't realize how true they actually are until you sort of find yourself in this position, I guess. So yeah, exactly. Um, just as the final question, what are your hopes for the future with all this experience behind you? Where do you see yourself? Well, look, up until this point, everything I've done has been a byproduct of good luck, I think, and chance. Uh, the fact I was never going to go to university up until, you know, a few weeks before I was at university was sort of by chance. Most of the programs and people I've met, the job that I'm in now was just by chance. So, look, I'm really just banking on chance to pay off again. Um, Very student yeah, life of exactly. you. exactly. <laughs> look, it'll run its own course. I, uh, I think I enjoy talking to people and talking to people is sort of what's opened doors up until now so I think that's something that hopefully will continue to happen and again as cliche as it is there's a big world out there physically and I'd love to see as much of it as I can. If we've sparked your interest or you want to hear more about a certain topic contact us via our socials website or the link in the description. This is Global Questions and thanks for listening.